come up. Give them a good welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Fliss. Oh, thank you. So nice to be welcomed in a lovely, gentle way. <laughs> Don't know who started this really bad invitation, in introduction. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so today is a little bit different. Uh, rather than just kind of straightforward uh, talk we have prepared, we've uh, just come back from India. We were there. We came back last Tuesday. It is worth saying that when we left India, it was 36 degrees. It's now 18 degrees, which is considerably colder, uh, hence the full attire. Uh, but we had an amazing time. Uh, the main reason why we went out there was to visit Bethesda Children's Home, which if you're part of this church, you, you may know, you probably know that we support uh, an, an orphanage out there of 100 kids or so. Any profits from the chai bar, and there's some pictures behind that, uh, they go to the uh, orphanage as well. It's a real pleasure. We go out there a few times, um, sorry, every few years, uh, and we just look to play with the kids. But we also do more than that. Pastor Samuel and his wife, Lysha, uh, more than just run the orphanage. They also, uh, they also oversee a whole number of churches. So we go there to serve in whatever way we can possibly do so. Um, just to give you a kind of taste of the fun that we've had as a team, we've got a video to introduce you. So over to Karen. Thank you, guys. As you can tell, we had a tremendous amount of fun when we were out there. And as I said, we visited the children's home. We went and prayed for so many sick people. And we saw God do amazing things. It was really tremendous. The other thing that, um, that really inspired us is Pastor Samuel, who, as I said, we, su we support. He has this absolutely brilliant positive attitude towards everything. So um, if you look on the back of these T-shirts, guys, if you uh, could demonstrate, that'd be great. It says quite clearly, no problem. That was Pastor Samuel's response to absolutely everything we asked him. So can we do this? Yeah, no problem. Uh, and it's just a great attitude. So we felt like, you know, when you're in Rome, that kind of thing. So we decided with any time he asked us a question, any time he asked anything of us, we decided we would reply, yeah, absolutely. So would you like to go swimming in this pool that looks like it's not very clean, but you say it's clean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you like to stand up on stage and do some prophecy and then we'll go and pray for the sick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all those things. It was a really wonderful thing. But, you know, like kind of trying the, uh, the, if you've seen the movie Yes Man Approach, it really opened up so many doors and it really inspired us and taught us. I'd love us to be a church that just says, oh, I think God's asking me to pray for someone. Absolutely, I'm going to go and do it and figure out what happens next. It really was an inspirational thing. Um, so, guys, if you don't mind taking a seat, except Ellie. Um, we, uh, as I said, we go out there, and the main reason why we go out there is to support Bethesda. Now, Pastor Sam and his wife, Lysha, started this many, many years ago. Um, they've got about 100 kids there at the moment. They've been doing this, I don't know, 20, 30 years or whatever it is. And it really is inspirational, the kind of opportunities they give these kids from really seriously uh, deprived backgrounds. And this is my fourth time I've been across there. But I've got to say, this is probably the first time that I went from thinking that this is a place that we as a church, and if you're part of this community and you tithe, then we financially support them. And I suddenly transitioned from we financially support them to these are our children. And if not for us and if not for our input and our encouragement, our support, these children wouldn't have that opportunity um, that they do have. I thought it would be great to hear from Ellie. Ellie's a primary school teacher, and I think I've no better person could give us a report as to what Bethesda's like. Give her a round of applause. Thank 
you. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so last year, I prayed what turned out to be quite a transformative prayer. I was feeling too comfortable. I just got engaged. I love my job. I had a fantastic group of friends. Life was great, but it was too comfortable. So I prayed, God, I want to learn more. Reignite my thirst for knowledge. And God, take me out of my comfort zone. And, um, yeah, uh (laughs) uh-oh. It turns out that God takes some prayers very literally, because uh, a year later, I was in India. God took me as far out of my comfort zone as I think it was possible. 5,000 miles out of it. And I don't mind admitting that for the first few days, I was totally bewildered, homesick, and overwhelmed. Um, One night, I told Sue about my comfort zone prayer, and she was like, well, you did kind of ask for it. (laughs) But then, God started to work on the first part of my prayer. So as Richard said, I'm a primary school teacher, and I was talking to my children about the orphanage before we went, and I was asking them what they thought the children at the orphanage might feel. And they said that they would be sad because they didn't have anyone to call mummy or daddy, that they'd be scared because they didn't have their own family, that they'd be angry because they didn't have many toys to play with. And my ideas about the children that I was about to meet were quite similar, how wrong we all were. From the moment we stepped off the bus at the orphanage to the dance show that night, the cricket games, making friendship bracelets, glow stick discos, swimming in the pool, um, worshipping and praying, there was one overwhelming emotion. We all felt it, and it was, it was just impossible not to feel it. You've seen it in the video, but they truly felt it in their hearts. That emotion was joy. They were so joyful just to be with us, to share their home, their food, their days. They didn't need possessions to make them feel joyful, although the uh, bubble copters and the glow sticks were a <laughs> massive hit. And it taught me that joy is a choice, and it's something that they have in abundance. And there's a little story that I forgot to tell in the first service, but I think it just truly depicts the joy that was there. Um, One day we were in the orphanage, and I went off to use the bathroom, and um, the, the cubicles aren't really separated that much. There's a sort of small bit of wood. So there was um, uh, a child in, in the toilet next to me, and I was just, you know, in the toilet. And I could just hear this child singing away. And I just thought, that, you know, there is nothing more joyful than a child by themselves, not knowing that anyone's listening, just singing away on the toilet. It was just amazing. Let it go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... About the, you know, not having anyone to call mummy and daddy, I was on the roof of the orphanage one day with a group of girls, and they asked me if I'd met their mother, Lysha, who's Pastor Samuel's wife. 
And they were just delighting in telling me about her. They were so excited. And then all of a sudden, they started shouting and squealing, and I didn't know what was going on. So I sort of turned around, um, and I saw that Pastor Samuel had come round the corner. And all the girls ran up to him excitedly, and they were shouting, Papa, Papa. You know, these children have been through unthinkable hardships, but they choose outright joy in the family that they now have. It was a delight to take so many toys with us to India. And when we gave them to the children, I was just astounded by their reactions. Immediately, they you know, hugged us and they beamed and they were smiling and they took the toy and then they gave it straight to one of their friends so that they could have a go. These children have so little but they choose joy in sharing whatever they have. However, there was one particular time of day when the children's joy was just magnificent. In Psalm 47 verse one, it says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. And wow, do Bethesda children know how to do joyful prayer and worship? Each evening, all the children, right from four years old, would shut their eyes and they'd clap their hands and they'd, you know, shout to joy, shout to God with unmistakable joy. As a teacher, I'm used to learning from children every day, but those children taught me something that I hope will be a lifelong lesson. In Philippians 4, verse 4, we're told, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. There were some sad and tender moments at the orphanage, but mostly, despite tragic backgrounds, those children chose joy. And if they can choose joy, then so can I, and so can we. Thank you. That was so wonderfully um, communicated, and it's so true as well. I mean, these are our kids. We are not just supporting them financially, but we're supporting them in so many ways. And it's wonderful for us to report back that they are being loved with such a d deep and, uh, and wonderful love. Um, let me just give you a, a, get a bit of background, just so you know how these uh, kids get there. There's a, there's a picture on the Chai Cafe. Uh, so if you're ordering a special coffee or whatever, you'll see this behind the, uh, the Chai Cafe. Now, these are two girls that have been through the orphanage. The one on the left is a girl called Kezia. She was uh, in the tribal community, tribal village. Her mother sadly died, and her dad decided he would remarry. But as he was about to remarry, he thought, you know what? I, I don't think I want my daughter anymore. And so he would just abandon her. And maybe she's gone to live with an uncle or aunt, but they wouldn't have been able to support her. And so she would have been literally abandoned in that place with no hope and no future. And Bethesda took her in and gave her an opportunity, educated her, loved her in a way that she'd never been loved before, restored her. And it was absolutely tremendous. And I love the fact that I can tell you that she's now 20 years old and is studying a Bachelor of Arts in a local college. Absolutely amazing. The girl on the right, the girl on the right is a girl called Sandhya. Now, she, um, she's from a very, very poor background. Um, both of her parents uh, have died. And she was, again, left alone, maybe in a kind of stay orphanage opportunity at most, but absolutely no opportunity for a future, no opportunity for education. And suddenly, uh, Bethesda stepped into her life and gave her the chance to be part of a bigger family. 
be a part of somewhere where she could feel loved and valued. And now she's 22 years old. She's from a place called Coimbatore. She now studies her masters in Coimbatore. And I love the restoration of the place that she started as an orphan, as an abandoned child. She's now as someone who's going high in education and doing incredibly well. Absolutely wonderful. Um, it wasn't all, I mean, these are fantastic stories, but when we walked around the orphanage, there was tremendous joy, as Ellie was saying. But there were a few times when you start to realize that actually it's not all absolutely brilliant. They're still struggling with things. I went to get something from my bag, and I came past this little boy who was crying on the edge, looking at everyone playing. And I sat down next to him, and I didn't really understand what he was saying. I put my arm around him, and I got a translator over to say what was going on. And he basically told a translator uh, to me, he said, I'm look, you know, he's looking at all these people playing. He just said, I just miss playing with my mummy and daddy. And you start to realize that this is a kid from a background who's so, the parents are so poor, they can no longer look after him. And maybe some of them have parents visit, but most of them don't. And you start to realize these are real children, real lives, and have experienced real pain. But thanks to Bethesda, have been given a real opportunity in life. And it is my joy to say that Bethesda are doing wonderfully well. I would say as well, though, please keep them in your prayers. Um, the government are not massively keen on Christian organizations. So every year they have to go and get a rubber stamp to say, yes, you can keep the orphanage open for another year. Every year they go there, they've checked all the boxes, they do incredibly well to keep it safe and secure and everything they need to do. But then they, they, the government official would look at the list and kind of hover his stamp over it. And until Pastor Samuel or whoever just passes that bribe across the table, which is so common, until that bribe goes across the table, the stamp will go down. And I said, well, what happens to the kids? Well, if we don't get the stamp, they're all back on the street. It's as simple as that. It is devastating, absolutely devastating. The kind of, the prayers that they need, and not only that, they, uh, they need three and a half grand or so every single month to feed, educate, clothe, and all the, all the support for the children. Uh, we give a fair amount to that. Uh, you can sponsor a child, you can do other donations as well, uh, but even then they're still running a little bit short. So please pray for them and please um, you know, keep them in your prayers and think about how we can uh, continue to support them as a, as a church how we can look after our children in that place. So that was Bethesda. And when, uh, you know, me and the rest of the team, since we've been back to India, we've been having those questions. So how was India? Was it fun? Was it good? I mean, I don't know how to respond to that question other than to laugh. It's a great question. But when something was so emotional, and so, you know, I, I talked once about us being stretched, our emotional range of both the joy and the difficulties. There's no easy way of describing how that was, that trip was, in a few words. Let me give you one example, though, of, of one church service. I went to, and I was, uh, a number of us were speaking, and I started off by introducing the team, and I looked down, and on the right, uh, kind of what Dennis has said, uh, there's a beautiful girl in a pink dress. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, and I looked down, and I just thought, wow, what a beautiful girl. Reminds me of my daughter. I just bought her a dress that day, and I just looked at this girl, and I thought, oh, just such love for her. 
And then, uh, then I was praying for this guy, uh, guy in his about 30s or 40s, um, and you could tell he, he had been at this church, but had never really encountered the love of God. And I was praying for him and just praying a blessing on him, and suddenly the waves of the love, um, it talks about in Romans 5, waves of love just started to fill him. And he kind of wobbled around, and if you've prayed for someone like that, you just like, just fall over and let God minister to you. And he was like, trying to stand up, you know, everything. And eventually he went down, and I just loved what God was doing. And, and he kind of opened his eyes a minute or two later and was like, oh, how did I get here? And so he got back up, but I could tell in his eyes that God wasn't finished with him. And so he got up, and then he fell back down again <laughs> and did that a couple of times. It was absolutely hilarious. Such joy, such wonder. But then I encountered an elderly man. And I could tell on his face there was a real burden, a real difficult situation in his face. And so I got an interpreter over uh, to try and help me understand. And he told me of his daughter. His daughter, who got married a few years ago and has had a couple of kids, her husband had decided to leave her and go and remarry someone else. Now that's devastating enough. Her means, her love, her provision, her life had just left and gone with someone else. But the real heartbreaking thing is that in India, the community who were around her, the community that would have looked on her life, they wouldn't have cared about her husband. They would have looked at her and said, what's wrong with her? Why does she drive her husband away? She must be a terrible woman, a terrible wife, a terrible mother. They wouldn't have cared what he did. And I started, my heart started to break, as I'm sure yours would. And you start to look at this father and you think, gosh, this man probably poured his life into his girl like I do with my daughters. Gave him every opportunity to communicate how much he loved them, how much he adored them, how much he thought they were the world to him. And then one day she meets a man of her dreams and she gets married. It must be the happiest day of the father's life where he can say, I've done all I can with you now. Now it's time for you to go and start your own family and to be the best you can be in this man's love. And it must have been such a wonder for him, such a relief for him. And then only a few years later to find out that this man had left her. And not only that, the community are starting to blame her and probably blame him because he must have been a terrible father to have raised such a terrible woman. It really is painful. Not only that, the fact that she's a Christian, big Hindu country. So they would have looked at her and said, well, of course your life's fallen apart. You're following the wrong God. It really costs to be a Christian out there. It costs to have a faith that is different from the national faith. Not only that, it has financial implications. If you're on benefits, I, I, I thank God for the uh, child tax credits and the child benefit, but imagine you had housing benefit. Because when you become a Christian, all of that goes. You have to give that up. Imagine if you were sitting here thinking of the benefits you get from this government and you had to decide whether you would continue being Christian if that meant you had to give all of that up. And that's the decision these people face when they become Christians. It is not an easy thing. So you can grasp, start to grasp how emotional it was. Uh, Greg Graham is Simon and Emma. Would you mind coming up? You know, as we talk about it shortly, we saw lots of people healed when we were there. We saw God do immeasurable things and wonderful things. At the same time, I was calling home, trying to tell Tara of all the wonderful things that God was doing, and, and she was telling me how more sick she was getting every day, and how, and how the struggles that she faced, and I, I wrestled with that. Not only that, we had personal struggles. You know, whenever you put a team together, you always have the forming struggles. People starting to identify who they are and where they are. And I said something to the team before we went. I said, look, when we're out there, 
I can tell you everything you need to know. If you want to learn how to pray for the sick, I can show you. If you want to learn how to cast a demon out, I can show you. If you want to learn how to study and read the Bible, I can show you that. I can show you all things to do with your walk with God. But I cannot, the one thing I cannot do is manufacture your relationship with God. And I say that, and we say that as pastors and leaders in this church, we can teach you absolutely everything to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and all that he's called you to do. But we cannot manufacture your day-to-day relationship with God. And credit to the team, because they put that time in, they spent time with God, and they faced some obstacles and they carried on. We faced you know, sickness, a number of those things. Uh, we faced um, a feeling of isolation, you know, as you're trying to figure out where you fit in the team. And we also faced, and a lot of us faced, this feeling of inadequacy. You know, when you see other people doing wonderful things, okay, well, what about me? Is it gonna happen to me? Um, Greg is bold enough to share his version of that. So over to you, Greg. Um, even before I went to India, uh, there was lots of other things happening with even work and just kind of life and being feel a bit stretched and even, you know, running a connect group and other things. And I was a bit kind of worried about kind of going because one of the things is Richard asked me to preach um, very first time at a pastor's conference. So <laughs> never, ever preach in front of anybody, and you do at the pastor's conference. So it's already a good start. Um, <laughs> so we kind of went there, and uh, we, we obviously went to a lot of churches, did a lot of prayer, kind of ministry stuff. And uh, one time I went to one of the churches. Um, I'd be praying for someone, and it just I just would feel nothing, and I couldn't you know, hear from God or anything, and I'd just be praying and praying, and... You know, they'd be wanting healing or something, and then it just felt like I moved on from the next person. I just feel like, what, what am I doing here? I'm just praying to saying, almost to saying, bless you, and that's it. Kind of like, I just honestly felt nothing. Um, and it came to a point when I was like, really struggling with it, and I was praying to God about it. Um, and then it just kind of thought with Moses, when God came to him first time in the burning bush, he said, you're going to go to the nations, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and get my people back Mm. and Moses obviously was like I hate speaking in front of anybody big public speaker he says send someone else kind of thing and obviously as you know the story you know Moses was used mightily through God Um, so I kind of remember that as you know Moses was just as scared as I was or just you know couldn't think he could do it but God still used him mightily so with that mindset, I kind of thought, okay, I'm here for a reason. And I think that's one of the reasons why there was a conflict, because I was here to serve. And I think that was the reason why I was conflict. Otherwise, I could have just had an easy ride, just been in the background and not done anything. Mm. Um, so later in the trip, and kind of keeping the story shorter, um, I had a personal counsel with God, one of the worship sessions we had as a team. Uh, God really worked to me personally with uh, personal issues, but also just gave me that boldness, empowerment. And then when I started praying for people, people were healed. I had words for people. You know, even people fell down the Holy Spirit. I just felt so much more confident. And I think it's that point, although I was completely vulnerable to everybody, it's God that really pushed me through. And he's like, okay, I'm going to push you up, but not just to give you a fix, but actually I'm going to give you new giftings and new power through me. So that's kind of what happened. Brilliant. What I, what I love about that is that Greg is a Connect Group leader, and you know, we've all faced those struggles. If we've ever tried something that's out of our strength, it, God's going to 
God's going to put us in the out of our comfort zone, as Ellie was saying. I love Greg's attitude that he knew he didn't have what it took, but he knew that he could trust in God and wrestled with that and got an answer. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, now, Gabby, I'm sorry, if you mind just stepping forward. Gabby's a little bit different story. So she, um, she's 16 years old and, uh, and one of the core members of the team and really came to life towards the end. Great dancing, by the way. Um, <laughs> but she, um, it was really interesting. I'd seen her character, but I haven't seen whether she's spoken or anything like that. And then one day, uh, God said to me, I want Gabby to preach at a gospel evening meeting. Big, big session. And I thought, okay, well, if God said it, Let's go for it. And I've seen her character, so I, I think she can do it, but I have no idea if she can. So, uh, so Gabby, tell us what happened. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so when Richard first asked me, I was a bit like, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, you know, um, if anyone who knows me will know, like, any kind of public speaking, I just shy away from, don't want to be in the limelight. Um, but then I was like, hmm. I didn't come all the way to India to waste an opportunity to share Jesus with people. So I decided I would speak. Um, but one of, my, one of my first struggles was like, oh, I'm, I'm only 16. I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't know how I could influence people with what I know. So I struggled to kind of decide what to talk about. And um, Katie suggested talking about the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 and so I spoke about like the love and forgiveness of Christ that that story shows and um, when it got to doing the talk I was so nervous um, it was just one of those situations where you want the ground to swallow you up or someone to come in and be like oh it's fine you don't have to talk <laughs> don't worry but um, yeah and but when I started talking I just got a sense of peace like the Holy Spirit came over me and yeah, it felt very peaceful, and I managed to get through it. And um, afterwards, during ministry time, um, four Hindus came to know Christ. Um, wow. Which uh, I, I take no credit for. It was all, it was all the Holy <laughs> Spirit, all God. But um, through that situation, what it's taught me is, although we're weak and although we feel inadequate and not able to do things because people will tell us we can't, um, to never underestimate what God can do through us. And, as, and it's especially in those times of weakness when you feel like you can't do something that you know God's there because I would have not been able to get through that talk unless God had been with me. So. Amazing. And those are just great examples of, yes, absolutely, I'll, I'll do that, I think. Yep. I just love that. I love the idea that we stepped out and experienced that. Another thing happened quite dramatically when we were out there. If, if someone was to ask me for a statistic, something I could feed back from this trip, the one thing I would say is we prayed for a lot of sick people. We prayed for healing a lot. And over the week, we documented over 60 people healed. Over 60 people. I mean, bear in mind, we pray for a lot of people that couldn't translate, and we don't have a clue what happened to them. And actually, one guy came back and said, oh, my tooth is nailed. Thank you. Um, but we probably saw over 100 healings, but we documented about 60. It has been absolutely amazing. Let me give you a taste of them. So, Emma, if you just step forward. Yes. So, um, I had a word for a pastor at the conference um, that I was about 40, 50% sure was God. Um, so I shared it anyway, and I felt that God was saying to him that he can straighten his back, 
He is a son of God, and he can walk with dignity and authority, knowing who he is. Um, and, you know, he just kind of, I think he seemed to receive it, and that was that, and I kind of got on with the rest of the day. And then over lunch, a good friend of his came over to me and said, thank you for that word, because he had been what I thought was really, really, really sad for a while. Um, but the word that God had, had given him was really encouraging and kind of giving a new lease of life and of hope and joy. Um, and also he said that his knees had been in a lot of pain. So I went to go and pray for him. Um, and you could see the transformation in his face already, like how um, knowing who he was and beginning to recognize that again was just giving him again that, that life and that light and hope that he'd been missing for so long. Um, so, and I prayed for his knees. Both his knees got healed straight wow. away, which was incredible. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was incredible to see how God has spoken that word of love into his life and then demonstrated his love by healing him as well. Um, and then it got even better because I had actually been mistaken in what the friend had told me. I thought he was just really, really sad. It turns out he'd been planning to commit suicide in the next couple of days. He was just very, very worn down by the ministry he was involved in and his life was just going wrong in every way. Um, so God literally saved his life through that word and, and transformed his life. And it was just incredible to get to be part of that. Wow. And Simon. So um, after one of the services that we were at, like, like we've all been saying, completely sort of inequipped as to what we were going to do next. We were asked if we would go and pray for healing or just pray for anyone really that needed anything. Um, and I went down and, and sort of found this, uh, this little old lady that was sitting sort of towards the back. And uh, she had a young man next to her um, who thankfully was able to translate for me. And um, he was sort of saying that she, she needed uh, prayer because she was paralyzed down the left-hand side of her body. So she, she couldn't really walk. Um, she'd, she'd been led in by this guy. She could walk with a, a stick, but um, she was really, really struggling. She couldn't move her mouth. She could get her arm to about here. And so I went over and... I don't know if you've ever prayed for the sick before, but it's one of those things where you feel really like, okay, I might see something happen, I might not. So um, I, I started praying for her, and uh, I started I started sort of praying to see something happen with her foot and a little bit with her arm. And I uh, I said in the first story of that service, I don't know if you've ever seen Kill Bill, where Uma Thurman's <laughs> trying to get her toes to wriggle. Of course you haven't. You're all Christians. You've never seen that. Um, <laughs> but that was pretty much what I wanted. If I, if I could see something happening, yeah. um, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. That's God working. And uh, sure enough, she was able to get her arm from here to way above her head. And then she was able to wriggle her toes and rotate her foot side to side. And then she was able to move her mouth. And you could clearly see she was able to talk to, to the young man a lot easier. Um, and I got a bit bold and I said, look, would, would she feel comfortable standing up and, and trying to walk? Which she did and just shot off, <laughs> um, which was amazing. <laughs> and again, I didn't, I didn't really expect any of that to happen, but you kind of just step out and you do what you kind of, I don't know what you can do. And you just speak into that. And it was amazing to see the results. So, yeah. Amazing. Glory to God. Fantastic. So one of the uh, questions we get asked a lot when we come back from India, and this happens every time, is, yeah, that's amazing that all that healing takes place over there, but what about here? I mean, we don't see that much healing. I mean, why is that? Uh, and we put it down, you know, maybe because we have better access to medical care. I mean, genuinely, they have a saying in India that says, if you want to die, go to a government hospital. 
because I had a bike accident, I went into hospital, um, I you know, was checked over, I had all the scans, and then um, they kept me in overnight as a precaution because I lost a lot of blood, and then I was sent home the next day. In a government hospital in, the, in India, they would go, oh, I think you might die, and you don't want to leave your family, do you? So we'll keep you in for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so. And all that time is costing you 2,000 pounds a day. And not only that, you know, that will drive you to loan sharks and drive you to difficult situations and amount masses of debt. Not only that, we prayed for a number of bus drivers out there who had really torn their backs and were in agony. And I was asking, you know, why, why are they in so much pain? What, what's going on here? And basically, it would, would be like this. If, if someone really injured themselves at work and they took the chance to call their boss, saying, I'm really sorry, I don't think I can be in tomorrow, the boss would go something like this. Oh, that's no problem. We'll find someone else. You can find a job when you're better. You would just lose it straight away. So you have no choice. If you want to put food on your table, you go there. There is that. There is that desperation. But I think it's also a little bit deeper than that. In, India is a very religious country. A lot of Hindus um, and other religions. But, but there's a belief that God can heal. There's a belief that he has power. If I would go to him, then I believe that he could do something. And if I try, then maybe he'd be willing at that time if I've lived a good enough life or something like that. But whatever it is, whatever thought process, whatever they think of God, their desire is to come for healing. I think about us in this country, and I think that's probably something we lack. You know, we, we may think, yeah, God blesses those people he doesn't know, uh, that, that don't know him. Or, or you know, I, how many times have I been prayed for, for a headache or something, and I'm like, just as soon as this person finishes, I'll just take some paracetamol, we'll be fine. We discount, we already go, well, we've got access, we're fine, we don't need God to come through. But I want to tell you that God is, is not just able, he's willing. Let me, let me share with you my favorite verse, my favorite passage in the Bible. It's in Mark 1, um, verse 40, it'll come up on the screen. A man with leprosy goes to Jesus, comes before him, he's heard wonderful rumors of this man healing, Jesus healing, and he comes before him and says, if you are willing... In other words, I know that you're able. I know that you've got the gift. I know that you're God and you could do amazing things. If you are willing, that's my question for you. If you are willing. Now, I don't know about you and what kind of upbringing you've had, but I had a stepdad who was very, uh, very strict, a very strong man, just came out of the army. And I knew that he was a very strong man. And if he wanted to, he could have protected me, but instead he decided to use it against me and be strict against my life. He was a man who was working. He filled the cupboards with food, and if he wanted to, he could have shared that food with me, but actually he decided to hold that back from me. I knew that he was able, but I was convinced he wasn't willing. I knew as we went around cousin's house and friend's house that he would play wonderfully with the children, wonderful with my cousins and people the same age as me, but then we'd go home and he'd be disconnected. I knew he was able to play with them, but he was never willing. Let me contrast that with a different story. Alexander the Great was once approached by a man who said, Alexander the Great, my daughter's wedding's coming up. Would you mind paying for it? Absolutely obscene. And all the people, all the officials in the court were going, what is he saying? Oh my gosh, he's going to get killed. And Alexander the Great throws his arms up in the air and says, absolutely, I would love to do that. I would love to pay for it. And the man goes, yay, and then leaves. Probably a bit more than that. And as he leaves, the officials turn around and say, what were you thinking? That was, that was so obscene. What was that guy doing? 
And Alexander the Great turned to them and said, when that man asked me that question, he paid me two compliments. First of all, he said, you are wealthy that this is such a small thing to you. You have all the means. I know you can afford this. And second compliment he paid me was, I know that you are a generous man and you are willing to do it as well. When we go before God for our prayer request, do we kind of keep it simple like a parking space because, to be honest, we don't want to face the disappointment? Or do we believe we're approaching someone like Alexander the Great who is wealthy and is generous and is willing? Well, let me tell you what happens when we approach Jesus. Mark 1, chapter, uh, verse 40. A man with leprosy approaches Jesus, and he says to him, if you are willing, make me well, make me clean. Jesus' reply goes like this. Jesus was indignant. It means he was filled with compassion for this man. He knew, he empathized, he sympathized. He reached out his hand and he touched this man. He said, I am willing. He said, be clean now. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. That is our God. That is our Jesus. That is the one who's on the receiving end of our prayers. John Wimber, who started this movement, he actually said, the problem isn't up there. The problem isn't with God. The problem's down here. We're too scared to go to God for those big things. And yet God delights in being a generous and wealthy God. If we would go to him, he would give us more than we could ever imagine. He would put us in situations where he would say, go, and I'll give you the words when you go. We have a good God, a powerful God. Um, Emma, would you mind coming up? I want to tell you one story, and then we're going to go into some ministry. And I, a couple of things. I, I believe there are people here that have ailments and would love to pray for you and would love to see God be a willing God and heal you. And there's another thing as well. I think based on all these things, all these things that were shared today, I think that actually God wants to remove some limitations on your life. Maybe you haven't experienced the power of God. Maybe you haven't been in a situation where you've needed the power of God. I believe that God today wants to remove that limitations, put you in places out of your comfort zone where you cry out to God and see God do amazing things. I once told a, I told a woman out in, in India, she was asking about her land. Um, she was fighting over it, having arguments, taking it to the courts. And I, I couldn't give her an answer straight then and there about what would happen to her land. But I asked, I said, do you have anything that's wrong with you? And she said, oh, my, my body hurts or something like that. And I said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to pray for you. God's going to heal you. God's going to heal you because he loves you. And if he heals you, that's a sign that he loves you, he cares about you, and he's compassionate for your life. And if you can trust him that he's healed you, you can trust that he will deal with the other situation you're burdened with. But let me tell you this one story. This is a little bit out there, but I think this will tackle some of the things that we come with. We once, um, we approached, approached this girl once, a uh, younger girl, but she could speak English. And I said, what can I pray you for? And she told me, oh, I would love a, prayer, a blessing on the family. And, she, and then I turned around and their family, a father, a mother, and I think a brother were standing there. And they were shouting something in Tamil. I have no idea what they were saying. And then I turned back to her and she said, oh yeah, just bless them for the family. And I turned back and they were blah, 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 blah. Bless them for the family. Are you sure? Because I'm fairly sure they're saying something else. And she goes, okay. And she pointed down and her foot was in cast. Two years ago, she had dislocated her ankle jumping off the bus. It got a little bit better, but then it got a whole lot worse. And so I said, well, let me pray for that. So I sat her down, I prayed, and you know, asked her how she was, and she goes, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's feeling a bit better, thank you. I said, I think you're lying to me. And she was a bit taken aback by that. She says, oh, yeah. 
I said, let me pray again. And so I prayed again, and yeah, oh yeah, it's been better. I said, okay, you're lying to me again. So I called a translator over, and I said, okay, let, let her help me out here. And so she said, you know, I don't really have enough faith for this. Now, in India, just where the churches are at, they very much believe if you have faith for it, then God can do it. But I don't know about you, but I've read in the Bible, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, God can move mountains. Even one guy who came to Jesus said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think sometimes we kind of imagine that our lives have to be good for God to bless us. That we have to have enough faith that God's going to be, be able to come through. I looked at this girl and my heart broke at the oppression that she was under, under a well-meaning, well-intended pastor who had told her this fact. And my heart broke for her. And I looked at her mom and her dad. I said, when you were a child, you didn't know how to ask for food and yet they fed you. When you were a child, you didn't know how to ask for love and yet they loved you. God loves you. He doesn't care how much or how little faith you have. He loves you because you are his daughter and he has compassion for you. And he hates to see you suffering. He hates to see you suffering. And so we prayed again. And a little bit better. Then I got Eloise over because she was much better at praying than me. And we prayed for her one more time. And she stood up and she thought, oh. And then she balanced on her, uh, the one leg that was dislocated. And I thought, okay, I think she's healed now. <laughs> God doesn't care how much faith you have. He loves you. He's a God of compassion. And I believe that God wants to heal you if you know that he is willing. If you even have an inclination, you come with the idea that maybe he is willing. I know that God can heal you because he has compassion on you, his children. So would you please stand? We do this all the time. We're going to do it again today. Would you close your eyes? Would you say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Bless you, Lord. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are a God of compassion, that you are willing. You're not just able, you're willing to heal us. You're willing to move in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless. If you, um, if you have something physically wrong with you, would you raise your hand where you are? Okay, look around if you haven't got your hand raised, uh, especially the team, if you go. If you can believe on their behalf that you know that God is willing and able, then would you go and just lay a hand on them now? If you believe that God is willing to heal, maybe you've never seen a healing before, maybe you've never experienced this power before that God has given us, every single one of us, this authority, just lay a hand on their shoulder. I prayed a very simple prayer out, out there. It started, I just asked what was wrong or tried to determine what was wrong. And then I used the authority that Jesus has given me as a son of God, as you as a daughter of God, just to speak to that thing 
You do, we do this in essentials part two. Speak to that thing and say, be healed in the name of Jesus now. I command you to be healed now in the name of Jesus. I have this very simple theory that where the kingdom of God is, there can be no sickness. There can be no illness. Because where the kingdom of God is broken out, where the kingdom of light is broken out, where can darkness be? It has to flee. So kingdom of darkness be gone. Sickness be gone in the name of Jesus now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Speak without authority. After you've prayed for 30 seconds or so, just ask them where it hurts if there's any improvement. Just go ask them to give you an indication. We do this thing where we just say, if it was 10 to start with, like not being able to move or pain, if that was 10 to start with, where is it now with zero being completely healed? We should find it drops 10, 20% and it improves. Maybe more. After a while of doing this and believing that God was willing and able, sometimes we only had to pray one prayer and that person was healed. That's okay. That's just God digging some stuff up. There's real power. Sometimes it's not a physical healing. Sometimes it's actually, as I said, God wants to remove limitations. Sometimes God wants to take away some of those deep hurts, those deep insecurities, those deep struggles. And he reaches deep down inside of you to do that. Come Holy Spirit. If you're not praying or being prayed for, but you sense that God is blessing you, then just stay where you are. Let God pour his love over you. If you want to see the power of God, we have to step out And like Emma, do that thing where we go, I think God is 40% sure that God is asking me to do this. The more you step out, the more God gives you what you need. But sometimes he likes to just bless you and, and give you a gift so you can see that he is good. So you can see that he is good. Come Holy Spirit.